your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. Okay, today we're going to be talking about the unconscious mind, which is basically uh, the human operating system. And this is kind of a deep show. It's a little bit uh, heady, but I'm going to try to make it simple and straightforward for everybody. Um, You know, Sigmund Freud divided the mind and Sigmund Freud is probably what is most would consider the founder of psychology and he divided the mind into its conscious and its unconscious states and the conscious mind it contains all the thoughts the feelings the the ideas the memories that we acknowledge while the unconscious consists of deeper mental processes that are not readily available to the conscious however the unconscious is where much of the mind's work gets done, and it's it's basically the holding ground of automatic skills and the source of stored and, and often repressed memories of, of traumatic experiences, intuition, fantasy, dreams, and an engine of information processing. So while it's difficult to measure what exists in the unconscious, we know that even fleeting perceptions can leave lasting imprints on the unconscious mind long before you become aware of them. And what lives in the unconscious mind can eke out at any time in different ways from misspoken comments to random behaviors. These unconscious leaks that you may want to call them um, gain a lot of understanding of your inner state and, and your deeper motivations. And so, the, you know, the unconscious is sometimes referred to as, as basically the shadows of your mind. And it's not hard, you know, it's it's not a black hole of unacceptable impulses waiting to trip you up. It can help, you know, but it it can be a source of hidden and very disturbing beliefs, fears, attitudes that affect your everyday thinking and behavior. And we may hold these thoughts down because they feel threatening. And we know that suppression isn't a long-term solution. And so most forms of psychotherapy aim to bring the conscious awareness of many of these hindrances so that we can examine them and choose how best to deal with them and perhaps get rid of, you know, rise above them or get rid of them. But what it does is it takes the pressure off of your conscious repressing and suppressing those thoughts temporarily and once again it's it's like a boiling kettle it's eventually going to blow and then they come out and they may come out at the wrong time you may stumble they may make you vulnerable they may make you do stupid things so the unconscious can really if it's not managed well can can be a very destructive vehicle in our life and it can also be a really constructive vehicle in our life but the truth is that it's hard to prove the theories of the conscious and the unconscious because you're talking about something that is subjective. It's not there. You can't see it. But it is something that we in our hearts, in our minds, know that we have and do. And those are the secret self is basically what the unconscious can be. But the average person, especially in Western cultures, you know, the unconscious mind is is viewed as an enemy 
a murky power that swoops in and sabotages our conscious desires. And, and it can be basically blamed in Western culture from what people believe as being the scapegoat for every failure or mistake or unwanted reaction. And more recently, you know, people are starting to come to think of the unconscious mind as a tool that they can continuously use to get where they want to go. And so, you know, if we're able to consciously be aware of some of that material that lays in our conscious by psychotherapy, which is what the foundation of what Freud did, it basically helps us mature and become as one. We become, uh, you know, the yin and the yang, the, 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 the bad and the good in us uh, way, play on each other, and they balance each other out. And that's what we want. We want a balanced person. You know, there's also uh, philosophy has debated uh, for many centuries the, the nature of reality and whether the world we experience is real or an illusion. But, you know, neuroscience teaches us that in a way all our perceptions must be considered illusions and, and now look at the idea of perceptions here i mean i'm not just talking about our perception of the physical world but i'm also talking about our perception of the social world and so you know how are we perceived in our physical world is one thing you know consider your eyesight the image of the world you see is artificially constructed picture whose characters and properties are much a product of our unconscious mental processing as they are a product of real data. You know, look at the image to the left. It's a view of a road. It would appear recorded by your retina, and, and then your brain processes it. So but basically what happens in our physical world, it's, it's interpreted by our perceptions that are many times laid back in our automatic thoughts. Once again, this is a heady show. Our automatic thoughts back in our unconscious mind. And so, you know, and we, when we talk about our social world, well, we learn social cues based on our experiences in childhood. And so oftentimes in childhood, there's a lot of horrible things that happen. A lot of things that kids say and do um, that they don't, they're just not aware of how they come across. And so we read cues socially based primarily on our childhood experiences. And hopefully as adults, we cultivate a better view and a better perception and maybe even a better philosophy than the simple reactiveness of our childhood. But there are benefits of also the, the, the unconscious. And, and so if you look at the unconscious operations, they, it underlies many of our, our inferences and judgments, as well as a lot of our decision-making and problem-solving. And, and more than that, the unconscious mind can often do a better job of these things than the conscious mind. And so a great many operations can, can be handled by the unconscious mind. So the unconscious mind is vastly superior at least in today's science on, on the brain, to the conscious mind and learning some kinds of uh, highly complex patterns. And more than that, it can actually learn the things that the conscious mind can't because the conscious mind often has what's called defense mechanisms that operate. And in one way, think about it is uh, that researchers who study the creativity often distinguish between, you know, two phases of a creative idea, the, the, the uh, divergence and the convergence. In the divergence phase, you generate a lot of potential solutions. And in the convergent phase, you evaluate the ideas and focus on those that seem to be the best. And so, you know, the work of the unconscious thought 
suggested if uh, it, it may be most effective for the divergent phase of creative thought. So deliberate uh, conscious thought involves both divergent and convergent and convergent. So if you're reminded of things you know about that might help you solve a problem, then you evaluate those ideas and focus on the ones you like. In addition, as you think about the problem consciously, you're able to generate new descriptions of the problem that might help you and take a different perspective on it. And so these conscious processes get better over time. So the longer you spend thinking, the more you come up with. So unconscious thought has just a divergent component. The description of the problem races through your memory. It activates things that might be useful. And at short durations, there isn't enough time to activate much. And in long durations, some of the initial activation of the idea dies down and it's lost. So in medium durations, though the large number of ideas are active, so, so in cases where you are uh, stuck on a problem, it can be valuable to walk away and to engage in another activity and let your unconscious process. And sometimes if you wait till the morning, sometimes your conscious will process through dreams. And basically what will happen is it will feed into a better solution than what you would have thought of consciously. Once again, this is a heady show. I'm going to try to, to make it a little bit simpler. So if we look back at Freud, he described the uh, uh, conscious mind. It consists, uh, it consists of all the mental processes in which we're aware. And this is seen as a, a basically the tip of the iceberg. The, the conscious is the tip, and then below it is the real iceberg, and that is the unconscious. And there's a, he also suggested that there was a pre-conscious right in between, and that contains thoughts and feelings that a person is not currently aware of, but which can easily be brought to conscious. So it exists just below the level of conscious but uh, above the unconscious mind. So it's, uh, it, once again, this is a very convoluted uh, way of thinking, but if you, if you go into psychology and you understand personality, the structure of personality, uh, in other words, what Freud would have called is your psyche, and in terms of the id, which is your child, the ego, which is the person, and then the superego, which is the judgment, which is the parent. And so, you know, the, the id... In, in his theory, was pretty much uh, driven by the, uh, excuse me, the unconscious was driven by the id. And that was in his theory, that, that, that we have this childlike psyche that is called our unconscious. Now, if uh, we look at the, the uh, gap between psychology and psychoanalysis, it's narrowed now because the unconscious is now a, an important focus of psychology and so for a time it used to be that we in psychology use behavior modification which we do we still do it's called uh, cognitive behavioral uh, psychology but but back in freud's days they took a long time doing what's called uh, uh, um, uh, free uh, free association basically they would sit down on the couch uh, not look at the therapist and just say whatever comes to their mind. And by doing that, they're, they're basically associating their thoughts, they're bringing their thoughts out and, and basically analyzing those thoughts. And that was how Freud used to look at the unconscious. But nowadays what we're trying to do is make that stuff conscious so that we can have good 
discussions and not sit in therapy for years uh, just breaking everything down. But we want to be able to be aware of how that con- unconscious mind operates in us. Now, let's look at attraction. You know, your body, now now we're done with all the science crap, and, and so I apologize, but that has to be the framework of building this show. So the body expresses love no matter how hard a person wants to stop. And in, in a love life, everything comes out at, at the end but first comes the unconscious signs of attraction, and they are very evident, but we are often not aware of them. And so when your mind uh, likes someone uh, likes someone, and your body follows, and they, these signs of unconscious attraction uh, come forward, there's things like leaning towards a person shows attraction while leaning away indicates repulsion. Uh, Head tilting means a person is interested, especially when it's accompanied by eye contact. And avoiding eye contact means you're not interested. And that's what the signal that that sends. Also, feet and knees pointing at the person means there's an attraction. Also, our brain will react in in ways in which we find someone attractive. The body shows this uh, when we blush. You know, racing heart shows that we're nervous. This is especially evident in our face, which is another sign we're attracted towards someone. And also copying the body language shows attraction. And so that's that's called mirroring. And uh, also when we order the same food, that is a sense of I'm attracted to you. Now, you know, how women and men show attraction is, is, is somewhat different. It does incorporate those points that I just brought about. But, uh, you know, with male unconscious attraction, there's usually uh, uh, parted lips for a few seconds, a raised eyebrow or a quick rise and fall of the eyebrow, uh, unconscious self-grooming, standing close, flared nostrils, uh, spreading uh, of the leg when sitting. Uh, usually the legs might be slightly spread when standing, uh, also playing the, the, on the buttons of a jacket or touching the, their face unconsciously but erotically. You know, eye contact, smiling whenever there's eye contact, standing a bit away from the group for being noticed so they want to be noticed by the female. Now, there's signs also for females and, and how they do it unconsciously. There's the lowering of the eyelids like they're shy. Or there's licking or biting their lips or pouting. Uh, there's uh, usually an emphasizing of the breast by raising shoulders upward, moving the wrists continuously to show their body. Um, sometimes standing in a way that one hip has more weight than the other. Uh, or putting um, face on a hand in such a way that the chin rests on the palm. A hair flip. Uh, sitting in a cross-legged so that the hips appear wider and become slimmer and the legs become slimmer. These are signs of traction. And so many people aren't consciously aware that they do these things, but they do that. And, uh, you know, this is how people design in nonverbal ways uh, uh, how to uh, woo somebody in. You know, there's uh, sexual cues for the unconscious, and that is uh, like the the body and face symmetry. Um, 
you know, we can continue and consciously sense when someone's face is symmetrical. Uh, women also are unconsciously prefer uh, scents, like on T-shirts of men who have symmetrical body and facial fi- fi- uh, features, uh, signs of health, uh, genetic fitness, and exactly what the chemical signals are is very unclear on that. But th- there are unconscious uh, clues and cues as to what makes people attractive. Also, personality um, the, from smell and visual cues. So the, the T-shirt sniff tests also indicate that we have a limited ability to determine what uh, which of the personality traits, whether there's extroversion or neuroticism, are dominant in another person from unconscious uh, smell cues. Again, you know, science don't know how chemicals are responsible. Apparently, we can also uh, glean similar information unconsciously by watching video clips of people's behavior. Also, uh, illness is something that the unconscious will will uh, uh, queue up. Uh, smell is oftentimes something that the unconscious will determine, hey, that person might be sick. Uh, putting aside the obvious cues, such as the the odor of wounds or something like that, we can also unconsciously, by smell, by the our olfactory, we can associate bacterial infection in another person. Both humans and animals tend to avoid mates who are ill. And so people that are ill oftentimes are not found to be uh, associatable or somebody that's attractive and so our senses will unconsciously give us clues to that also uh, genetic diversity from uh, smell and taste there, there is evidence that humans can sense from both sweat and saliva how close a match another person's DNA is to their own detecting of, the, of, of their major uh, complexes which is called the uh, MHCs in order to avoid uh, mutations of offspring and stillbirths mating with someone whose DNA uh, basically evidenced by the MHCs is very different from one's own good idea so combining your genes with someone who has very different immune characteristics increases the odds that our children will have robust immune systems. And so this is what science is telling us. And once again, this is all a part of our unconscious. So, um, you know, uh, there's uh, disproportionate uh, large swaths of sensory or motor brain tissue respond to lip, tongue, and mouth stimulation. So when we're kissing on the mouth in order to taste the saliva of a prospective partner, to see if they're compatible uh, with us. And that, believe it or not, is a part of our unconscious. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about sexual attraction. Then we're going to move on into relationships and talk about unconscious eating and other things. Come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951 
Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about the unconscious mind, the human operating system. Now, we're uh, still ending up on sex, first of all, and the laws of attraction in our unconscious mind. And and looking at, uh, there's been a lot of research about, like, birds of a feather that flock together. Well, you know, uh, we do ch- choose uh, people and are drawn to people who share our personality traits, whether or not uh, we're conscious of being attracted to people because they have similar personalities. It's unclear, especially in the light of research. Uh, but basically, we look at somebody that we can relate to and they may be different in their approach. They may be different in their sense of humor. They may be different in many ways, but they have the efficacy of our personality. And so we sniff out looking for people like 
type that because those are the people we can bond with quickly. You know, if you can benefit from your your uh, uh, subconscious or unconscious mind, you know, you want to create. You know, there's a lot of people that will will judge sexual attractiveness partly based on the cues. Uh, that we aren't conscious of. So knowing uh, how to improve your life, sometimes uh, in looking at the benefits, especially the sexual benefits, many people uh, try to do things unconsciously that they feel is a part of them. So so if people are, for instance, in the business of creating or using scents to make perfumes, deodorants, food additives, uh, soaps more appealing, you know, research offers fresh ways to stimulate people's unconscious desires. Perhaps soap that emits symmetry and extroversion will 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 sell better. And so, there's a lot of research that that businesses do that create scents and things that make people attractive about this unconscious mind. You know, most people's innate preference for foods high in sugar or fat, for example is uh, is a highly adaptive when starvation was a constant threat. So people that have that that eating desire, uh, abundant food is is all around us. And so the attraction to food is high in fat and sugar is a nutritional equivalent of being uh, attracted to the wrong type. So what I'm trying to say is is that we as people, um, if we had, uh, if we were poor, or if we grew up with where there wasn't much food around, uh, oftentimes back in the day, uh, they would eat a lot of high uh, sugar and fat simply to keep their body uh, healthy in their mind. And those genes don't go away. Now that we have this abundant food around us, we still, some people have that desire to pack it on in the winter. Uh, to keep themselves healthy, not because they're poor, it's because they're just unconsciously aware that they need to eat, and that is the time to eat, and so people do eat, and they do that as a survival mechanism. Also, we can also talk about it in a sense of people trying to not be attractive because they may have been molested or raped or whatever, so they try to make their body not attractive by eating a whole lot of uh, food that they shouldn't be eating, but they do that to to protect themselves uh, so that they won't ever have that happen again. And they do that unconsciously, by the way. Um, so, you know, the, the, we also have this cognitive bias of valuing now more than later, which can lead to a lot of impulsivity and self, self-destructive uh, behaviors like overeating or overspending or gambling or drug abuse. You know, uh, the average life expectancy back uh, you know, 300,000 years ago was about 20 years old, but today the lifespans are approaching 80. And, uh, you know, so what we do is we still live in that impulsive desire, grab it before it slips away. And this approach to life means that we're going to depend a lot on our unconscious rather than our conscious. That means we're not going to have a lot of uh, consistency or trustability because we're always grabbing what we need right then and now. Um, we're a very impulsive uh, culture in this world and we want things right when we want them because we are so spoiled these days to have those things. You know, being aware that your nose may be getting you into the wrong type of relationships could be a valuable first step in entering relationships that work out better for you. The second step might be to tune in more closely uh, to those smelling uh, sensations when meeting prospective mates. The fact that we're usually unaware of these cues doesn't mean that we can't consciously experience them if we try hard enough. You know, uh, 
if you think about it, uh, look at how dogs operate. They operate pre- pretty much by smell, especially when they have to go to the bathroom. They're going to find the spot that, that smells just the right smell for them. Well, we have a similarity. We're animals, too, and we do have that olfactory uh, part of us. We're just a little bit more complex uh, in our build than dogs. But, you know, if we deny the fact that smell is not important uh, we're going to deny our sense of attractiveness and we're going to not be consciously aware when we're getting ourselves into trouble. <laughs> so let's look at relationships. Everything we do in this life is either conscious or unconscious, especially when it comes to relationships. You know, the relationship we have with our partner is either driven towards the conscious or driven towards unconscious. You know, um, unconscious relationship is basically mistaken for love. You know, if you if you never uh, knew during the partnership that you were led by unconscious, neither your partner, your partner probably didn't either. Many people live in an unconscious relationship where they don't have to think they're just rhythmically living in a partnership. They're doing the same things every day or similar patterns every day or similar patterns each day of the week. And, and, and basically, they just don't think and when they're in that relationship, they think they love each other, but they really don't understand each other's uh, thoughts underneath their conscious. And so, you know, they, they don't have those deep, deep discussions. Uh, they may have a few moments that are funny and familiar, but if you really look at it, they're not exercising their conscious and their unconscious mind in the relationship. And that means that the relationship doesn't evolve. It just stalls and it stays the same and it gets stale. And so, you know, we want to evolve in our conscious and unconscious minds in a relationship. In a conscious relationship, there is ego uh, transcendence. And so what that means is uh, couples go beyond their egos. They become more humble. And everything that exists between them is a result of their alertness rather than their ignorance. So they don't crave attention. They don't have the needs their partner can't meet. They don't fight to make the other person feel guilty or to gain recognition. In an unconscious relationship, there is ego preoccupation. And so we're in the constant need of attention. We fight for barren reasons to gain personal benefits. And there's competition. There's jealousy. There's drama. And we tend to become emotional and play the role of the victim. And so that is when people uh, uh, have that unconscious uh, preoccupation with themselves. And so if you're in a relationship with a person, uh, you're going to transcend that ego if you develop a sense of peace between yourselves. And that means you have to have good communication. So in, in, a, in a conscious relationship, there's also space allowance. So couples understand that their personal growth is critical. There's no pressure associated. They give each other the need and the space to grow, to breathe, to work on their personal goals. And in an unconscious relationship, there is absolutely no space Feelings become imminent to a point of losing one's own personal space and time. They become dependent on each other. Sticking together all the time can thoroughly block their personal growth. And so this is how a a relationship can be destructive if you don't process that unconscious insecurity. Also, uh, you know, blame is off the table in a conscious relationship, conscious partners, they, they basically, they understand that everything in this life is interdependent. There are millions of causes and associ- associations and conditions with events. And so they don't blame each other. 
nor do they take on the victim role when something goes wrong. Now, in an unconscious relationship, there's constant blaming. You know, likely they're prone to blame the other person for their own feelings and their own thoughts and their own insecurities. And so that can be another destructive pattern of unconsciousness in a relationship. And that comes from people not communicating. Also, there is no controlling in a conscious relationship. What does this mean? It's called maturity. Each partner is free to speak, do, and live as they please. There's no persuasion regarding what to wear, how to behave, what to do with their time. There's no manipulation. They don't play mind games to get what they want. Now, in an unconscious relationship, which is, once again, very lazy, there's a constant controlling unconscious partners draw to a certain image of each other in their heads, try to change each other. They try to control their way of thinking, their way of dressing, their way of living. And so basically that kind of a, a, a thing is about uh, just having a, a life where they try to control each other and change each other. And that's not why you get into a relationship. Um you know, in a, in a good conscious relationship, there's no fear of breakup. They're not throwing divorce at each other. And statistically, people that start talking divorce are usually going to get a divorce. And so, um, you know, they don't throw their relationship out the window. You know, conscious partners, they love each other, but they can live without each other. They, they believe that love is a state that can be continuous without the need of physically owning each other. And they also understand that their paths might clash at some point in life and might throw something at them that, that they have to face. But that's called change. And that's a good thing. And so when people are conscious in their relationship, they have good dialogue. And there's a distinct, uh, in an uh, unconscious relationship, there's a lot of fear of breaking up. Partners are attached to each other to the extent that they will not let each other go in separate directions. And so in that, that's another unhealthy way in which the unconscious can operate in a relationship. And once again, having a discussion about your unconscious is much better than just letting it play games. Also, in uh, in a relationship, there's always working on yourself. We're not perfect people. And so, you know, the least we can do is recognize our issues and work on them. Conscious partners are aware of their weaknesses and their negatives, and they fervently work on them to create a positive change in the relationship. Now, with unconscious relationship, there's a refusal to amend themselves. They tend to ask the other to change instead of working on change themselves. And as a result, they create a very destructive environment that will only make the other partner less comfortable and more distant. And so this is uh, the sense of, uh, you know, you have to, in a conscious relationship, you have to cultivate a sense of aloneness. And, and that means that conscious couples realize that being alone is important as a partnership. And if you don't uh, know how to be alone, you will not know how to live with someone. So being alone is a part of life and being alone with yourself is very, very important. And we need our space. But with unconscious people, they're always uh, wanting to be unhealthily uh, connected with their partner. Now, here's some things that happen in parenting as far as our conscious our unconscious is concerned you know as children we view our parents as the ultimate humans as superhumans and parents 
are here to protect us. So there's a sense of safety in thinking that our protectors are invincible. In reality, no one's perfect, not even our parents. They did their best to protect us, but unknowingly passed some really bad habits on us. And so a lot of people never realize that they take on a lot of the qualities of their parents and move that into uh, working with their own children. And so, you know, if we don't uh, protect, uh, perpetuate a change and try to consciously move ourselves away from the parenting that we once witnessed and those things that we, we really did not like about our parents and recognize that they're just humans, they're just a human being. If you stop looking at them as a parent, take the label off and look at them as a human, you'll start to begin to understand their frailties. You know, the biggest thing is, is practice mindfulness if you're going to be a good parent. Practice mindfulness. Notice the things that trigger you and make you angry about your child. And if you can notice those triggers, you're going to look back and you're going to see that a lot of that stuff took place in your own childhood. And those are your triggers that your child is doing. And of course, children want power. If they recognize an area in you that is weak, they're going to prey on it because that's how they get power. So if negative attention is better than no attention at all, so, you know, when you practice mindfulness, where we become aware of our parenting triggers, notice the buttons that are pushed easily by your child. That is where you want to do your own self-analysis. And by practicing mindfulness, it's not a bad idea to do a journal, a stress journal of what triggers you have. Because if you can control those triggers and change who you are in that regard of being a parent, if it's taken away from your relationship with your child, you want to consciously grow Grab on to those triggers and cultivate a different reaction because your unconscious mind does automatics, automatic reactions. And that is something that we don't want. The other thing is when we talk to our children, we want to look at them and give them the respect that we would do for ourselves. And that's really hard to do when they're sitting in the back seat. But I, I have to tell you, when you're, when you're having other discussions uh, that are corrective discussions with your child, it's always good to get to their level, remind yourself that you want to be a good parent and that you're human and they're human and we both have flaws and our job is to try to help them adapt to this world. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about unconscious eating. Then we're going to talk about defense mechanisms. Come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. We all experience grief and loss. It's not something most people like to talk about, but these topics do need to be discussed. On Let's Talk About Grief... 
host Addie Anderson speaks to both professionals and individuals about grief, death, and personal loss. You'll hear the important topics, the personal and professional outlooks, and learn how to prepare yourself and loved ones when the need arises. Listen Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, now, we're talking about the unconscious mind, and uh, basically, it's our human operating system. You know, if we're going to be talking now about eating, because a lot of people do unconscious eating. Some people call that a lack of self-control, but some, some people are just not aware that they do a lot of what's called emotional eating. And, and it can be a, a real result of not being conscious of what and why we're eating. And so this is unconscious. It's unconscious eating is when you're done with your meal and you continue to pick at it, slowly eating the remaining portion you intended to leave behind. And also it can be uh, putting peanuts or crackers or other food in your mouth just as it's in front of you. You know, so try to be mindful of what and when you are eating, you know, it's not a bad idea to even journal it to say, okay, I'm eating at this time or, you know, some people um, will drink or, or smoke marijuana or whatever. And that can also cause them to do unconscious eating. Also, uh, sometimes people make food as their only pleasure. And, and so they do a lot of unconscious eating that way that because their whole life is now structured around the pleasure of eating rather than the pleasure of sex or the pleasure of anything else. They find no other pleasure in their life but eating. So at, at the end of a, a hectic day, they give themselves a big bowl of ice cream as a reward or they, you know, eat, eat something that they shouldn't be eating or they do fast foods or they eat sugars, fats. And basically, the opioids in our brain are released by these active ingredients 
and, and it, it's almost like drinking co- or taking cocaine or heroin or, or narcotics. So calming, soothing effects it, it feel uh, when you eat and, and barbecue potato chips are, is very real. And breaking the habits can be kicking a drug habit, basically, because now we've invented that food is our pleasure. It's our only pleasure. And that's where we begin enjoying our life. Um, you know, the solution is reward your and soothe yourself besides food find other ways to get gratification and happiness in your life and if you're only going to find pleasure in eating eating is going to become who you are and that will take over your life unconsciously also unconsciously we have the inability to tolerate difficult feelings so you know we are in our culture we learned from at a young age to avoid things that feel bad unfortunately the ways we have found to distract ourselves from the difficult feelings are not always our best and some people uh, go towards food so they get into yucky feelings which quite frankly many of our emotions are very yucky and so they will uh, find the solution of, of practice letting themselves experience something difficult something different by creating the sensation and the senses of our mouths and by eating something we're diverting our attention from our pain and moving it into pleasure and so by doing that we develop an unconscious pattern and therefore as we go through difficult feelings in life difficult phases in life we turn to eating as the only way to get through it the other thing is body hate a lot of uh things that we do um is about hating your body and it's one of the biggest factors in emotional eating so there's a lot of negativity and shame and hatred that uh, basically a person will store up and what they do is they, they torture themselves by eating food. The, the food is a way that they can gain weight. The, the way that they can hate their body is by making it what it already is or and, and even bigger. And so they, they hate on themselves basically and unfortunately this is very complicated, but and it's unique to each person, but they use the, the, the eating as a way to torture their body. Very strange, very strange, but that is uh, a part of unconscious eating. Also, uh, uh, letting yourself get too hungry or too tired is the best way to leave yourself vulnerable to emotional eating. So some people will starve themselves, they'll not eat breakfast, they'll need, not eat lunch, and then they'll garb, you know, just eat tons of garbage for dinner. And then the next thing they, they know, uh, they're, they're, they're sleeping, and when they're sleeping, their body's storing up all that fat because it knows it's not going to get it in the morning or in the afternoon. And so it stores fat, and so they actually gain weight. Now, defense mechanisms are another unconscious factor in our lives. And when you think of defense mechanisms, you probably uh, think about Freud. Uh, but, but basically, uh, what we also have to do is look at some of the works uh, progressively by like Albert Ellis, which he basically said positive emotional states arise when we interpret our experience in ways that allow us to feel good about ourselves. So that we're not trying to protect ourselves from bad desires, but from uh, low f- self-esteem and feelings of disappointment in ourselves. So um, Ellis's theory was very good, and what he said, uh, you know, these defense mechanisms that we have that that hurt us. Number one of all of them is called repression, and we talked about that earlier. And this is basically the fundamental defense mechanism in Freudian theory. And so what you you forget can't hurt you 
So the repression involves not your ugly impulses, but the irrational beliefs. Everyone must love me. That operate below. It operates below your conscious. It also uh, targets the so-called automatic thoughts that make you feel miserable because they stem from irrational beliefs that you are unable to articulate. So once these irrational beliefs make it into your conscious. You or your therapist can challenge and change your thoughts. And so that's the basis of, of uh, Ellis's theory. Also, uh, projection. In projection, you take what you think are unacceptable things about yourself and literally project that attitude towards other people. And so these are, are illicit desires or things that, that, that we hate about ourselves. And basically, we will look to people who do what we hate and we will demonize them and make their life a living hell and we do this to children all the time the things that we hate about ourselves are the things that we project onto our children also there's displacement and displacement is another defense mechanism that Ellis brought about that is basically in his language uh, transferring your unacceptable feelings towards someone you're supposed to love or have perhaps fear onto a safer target as a hallmark of displacement so uh, an example is that you're you're treated badly by your boss so you go home and express your anger by yelling at someone in your family so displacement means we take something where we can't react to someone else and we dump it on somebody that's a safer target. And so that, once again, is a defense mechanism that the receiver just doesn't understand where is this coming from. Another uh, defense mechanisms, by the way, these defense mechanisms I'm describing to you is important because this is what creates uh, the reactiveness of our unconscious mind. This is where we, we the, this is where we operate in that unconscious mind. And so we have to understand in therapy, what we do is we attack these defense mechanisms and make them conscious. And by doing that, we get rid of some of that unconscious programming that hurts our life. So rationalization is another defense mechanism. And it basically is used to excuse or to justify an experience that reflects negatively on who you are. And although you know you're using an excuse, you don't realize that you're doing it. So according to rational emotive therapy, which is Ellis's therapy, you can overcome the need for defense mechanisms by not needing excuses or being able to handle the truth. And so dealing with truth is very important part of bringing about uh, the, 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 the lack of need to rationalize. Most people do use rationalization because they're impulsive. They do something they didn't think through, and then they rationalize why they did it. And that makes them feel better. There's also the, the reaction formation, and this is basically uh, um, a defense mechanism that where you turn your unacceptable impulses into their opposite. So, so let's say a sex-obsessed individual becomes the prude. So basically, they, they hold down the idea of who they are, and, and, uh, and it's not a, a negative sexual impulse that drives you into reverse, but the irrational belief that your normal feelings of anger or worry are completely unacceptable. So basically what they take, they demonize their own thinking, that they had an imagination to do something that they know they shouldn't do, and then they repress it and become the opposite of that. And that basically is an ego formation. It's a, it's a way they project their ego. That is a defense mechanism. So people who act like they are all that, may not be all that in reality in their mind. If, and so addressing those, those things that don't fit in your life 
and instead of trying to be the opposite, try to find a balance where you recognize it as something that you sh- you're just dealing with. And therapy is a great place to do that because it's confidential. Uh, also, denial. You know, denial means you deny having negative or harmful impulses. And you'd be overwhelmed with anxiety if you had to deal with the fact that you really uh, had uh, negative or harmful impulses. And so the fact is all people have negative and harmful impulses. The deal is, is that denying them means that you're you're uh, basically stopping yourself from recognizing the things that are bad within you or the things that you know you have to control, understanding that they're there is 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 good you know if you even look from from a religious perspective you know jesus gives us and god gives us all kinds of forgiveness all the time constant forgiveness that is because if we don't deny our impulses and actually deal with them in a healthy way it allows us to process that information and accept it as a part of who we are then we're better able to manage there's also regression, and that's when people are stressed out. They revert to an earlier uh, psycho uh, stage, psychosexual stage, let's say, from a Freudian perspective in their life. So they may uh, begin to act like a child and instead of act like an adult. And so basically they go back into their frustration level because they have a very low emotional vocabulary. So they, re- they go into a regression which is like a child because that's the only way they know how to express those emotions. And so they go into that child state to express those emotions and they don't understand that they're coming across like a child. But that's what oftentimes people that do regression do. There's also intellectualization and don't mistake that for rationalization. And in an intellectualization, we come up with a reason to explain away the negative results of an event or an encounter. So we just basically are trying to explain it away and make it go away. Now, no, Freud had another term called sublimation, and and um, it could be a healthy defense mechanism. It's where you 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 take unacceptable impulses like sexual desire. And you direct it at an inappropriate target and turn them into behaviors that will not cause problems. Uh, They may even do good. So from sublimation, you may have a a harmful uh, desire, but you take that energy and you do something good with it instead of react uh, with that particular defense. So it's basically taking your energy and letting it out in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. Now, here's some other things that's very important to understand about unconscious uh, thoughts, um, self-defeating behavior. So complainers, these are, are this is self-defeaters is another unconscious way where they, they live in that self-defeating mentality. They usually are, are big complainers. They start the day off with negative assumptions and conclusions, and so it makes it easier for them to have more negative thoughts in the future. Also, uh, limiting their beliefs. So they, uh, people that are self-defeaters, they, they unconsciously, they place direct limits on their movement forward in life. So they're basically creating negative outcomes in their mind and preparing for a negative outcome rather than having faith and moving towards a positive outcome. Also, self-defeaters like to blame other people. They don't like to take uh, responsibility for themselves. Self-defeaters usually have a lot of negative self-talk. So, you know, they, they make mountains out of molehills. They, they perceive things to be more stressful than they are. And they uh, get busy uh, talking 
themselves into it. And so basically they use negative self-talk to stop them from living. It's a fear-based life. People that, that uh, are self-defeaters, they live in fear. They dwell on the past. They're resistant to change. And they, they're approval-seeking people. And so they do all these things unconsciously. And it's sad, but that's how it all goes. And so, you know, they need that approval. And so that's an operating system that they have within their mind. You know, so there's also unconscious biases in the workplace, and we all bring those there. There's deeply uh, subconscious attitudes that span over race, gender, appearance, age, wealth, and a whole lot of things. And they influence the, the, from the car you drive to the, the, the employees you promote and the ones you don't. And, and they're, they're, it's, it's, it's an unconscious thing, and it's usually triggered without our conscious knowledge. So... Um, you know, if we have to look at that, we have to understand that there's a lot of things that take place that are very human in the workplace, which unfortunately uh, people are now making a battleground legally. All right, that's our show. Our next show is Will, Faith, and Trust, Three Keys to a Worthy Life. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. I get so much feedback from people, and I love it. Thank you so much. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net. I'm currently uh, scheduling speaking and teaching engagements, conducting coaching for marriage, pre-marriage, individuals, in-person or Skype. So contact me right away if you'd like to book a time, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Now, women, you know you are in a biased work environment that is not focused on diversity when they keep recommending your ideas through another man. (laughs) Instead of you, <laughs> it's also you. You also uh, you know that your favorite part of living is going to be the half that God tells you He forgives you for. <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 